Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms. From the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries, anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Ilana C. Meyer, author of The Poet King, to be published by, or actually it's been published by Tor Books, um, March 24th, 2020. And, uh, and I'll apologize at the start, I haven't read the uh, previous books in the series, but I don't think that should uh, uh, hurt the interview. Oh, you read the book? No, I have not yet. Oh, okay, because I mean, that's actually pretty unusual for interviewers to read the book, so you're, you're fine. Oh, okay, okay. First, in the series in general, so this is the third book in the Harp and Ring sequence. And, yeah. Um, so in general, for the series... How did, of all the, you know, writers always have a, a bunch of ideas. How did this particular uh, idea, this world kind of come to the forefront and get written about instead of all your other ideas? So, to be honest, I'm not the kind of writer who has like a million ideas at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to find one and then if it's strong enough, and I become obsessed with that and focus on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what happened with this series. I was still in college. And uh, I always knew I wanted to write. And I was just coming to understand the financial realities that I was going to be confronting if I wanted to be a writer. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really get it. I was like, I'm going to be a writer. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize quite how much I would have to put into making it a reality and also how much I would have to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was really wrestling with that when I was in college, you know, figuring it out. And then I took this course um, in Celtic myth and literature, mm-hmm. and the um, one of the topics that came up was uh, the literature about the Celtic poets who had all this political, and they believed as well, magical power in Celtic society, mm-hmm. at least in this literature. We don't know <laughs> how much the society actually believed of these ideas, but in the literature... You know, they believe that if a poet, you know, cursed a king, it would come true. Um, kings were therefore afraid of poets, and this gave them all this uh, political leverage. And so it, that kind of gelled for me with what I was um, wrestling with in terms of being an artist. And I decided that I wanted to explore these feelings I was having about art through the vehicle of this mythology um, but because I didn't want it to be necessarily a Celtic novel, because that's like a whole other thing, mm-hmm. I also combined it with um, the history um, of the French troubadours. So there's this uh, kind of um, fusion there going on there. There's kind of the Celtic Celtic elements, and there's also the um, medieval French uh, troubadour elements, mm-hmm. um, and they come together in Last Song Before Night which is the first book in the series. Mm-hmm. Now, do you feel, um, since you're writing about poet character, you know, characters who use poetry, do you feel yeah. personally, are you more attracted to poetry prose? Obviously the book is prose, but, um, yeah. what's the interplay there between your, you know, with your uh, love of poetry versus prose? Hmm. So I think of it as, I think of the act of writing as being on a kind of sliding scale Mm -hmm. from poetry to prose. Mm 
mm-hmm. with variations in between. Um, because I do think about the sound of sentences, the sounds of words as I am writing prose. Um, but of course, the shorter your medium gets, the more attention you have to give to every single word. And that's something I've, you know, always thought about. And I do write poetry sometimes. Um, but in the book itself, there's very little poetry because uh, I'm aware that a lot of fantasy readers just like can't stand it when you have a lot of poetry in your book. So <laughs> I try to keep it minimal and, you know, usually very hyper relevant to what's going on and to the character development. Mm-hmm. So tell me then about the um, the setting, you know, the protagonists, the world they live in, um, sort of the conflicts they're dealing with in, in this particular, in the third book of the series. Okay. So I will, I'll try to do that without spoiling the whole series. Um, okay. In the third book, the third book begins the ascendancy of a poet who has managed to elevate himself to the position of king. Mm-hmm. Um in the capital city where much of the series has taken place. And it is in a way a logical conclusion to the series because from the beginning, from the first book, there were always these questions about the interplay of art and power. And if it's possible um, for an artist to have political power without their art becoming something corrupt or artificial, Mm-hmm. Um, or lacking in some essential quality. And so here we have someone taking the ultimate power, which is the kingship. And the idea is, you know, is it possible for this poet to also, you know, reign as king and for those things to be in, ha- those elements to be in harmony? Mm-hmm. I don't know what more I can say without giving away too much. Um, <laughs> so I, I'll ask a I mean, you know, I think it, it's, you know, a lot of stuff happens. I can say that. Mm-hmm. So let me, what else can I sell you? So let me um, ask about certain elements. And again, if if any of it might reveal, you know, you, um, you don't need to um, discuss that. But is magic a very prominent in the story? Is it sort of a background thing? And also, what sort of government structures exist in this world? Is it feudal, you know, like medieval type? Or, or what, what do you have? In order to write Last Song Before Night, I... Um, did a lot of research, mainly around 12th century France, because of the troubadour inspiration. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, government elements are more medieval. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did play fast and loose with certain period details because I figured, you know, as long as the science makes sense internally, it's my world, and I don't have to like rely on, you know, strict history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'll have less paned windows, even though, like, in the 12th century, they would not have, because, you know, whatever, it's okay, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then in Fire Dance, which is the second book, uh, which was inspired um, a great deal by um, the Kingdom of Alandalus in Spain, um, I did a lot of research into that period and the, um, the government structure um, and the setting reflects that research. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like, um, it's like about 12th to 13th century Spain. Yeah, there, there's a definitely, there are definitely questions that arise about um, the value of having an absolute ruler, absolute monarchy. 
um, that are explored a little bit. Um, you asked about the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in this world, uh, poets have access to magical power. This is a theme that begins in the first book and gathers force as the books go on. Mm-hmm. Until, you know, by the time you get to the third, magic plays a very big part. And as the characters often discover, it is usually something not to be trifled with, something very dangerous, mm-hmm. um, something which can come at an unbearable cost uh, to the character. Mm-hmm. Do you have mythical beasts or anything like that in the story, or is it more about uh, the human, the human characters? Uh, I'm really fascinated by humans, so that is where I keep my focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned some of the research you did, you know, in, in yeah. medieval history. Is there any other um, any other research that you did or any places that you went to or anything else um, that you gathered to to develop this book and write it? Um, so I initially read a lot of Celtic literature when I was first starting out, as well as all these um, historical sources. Mm-hmm. When I got to fire dance, in addition to reading about Alan Dallas, I was also reading as much as I could about um, Middle Eastern magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the whole Arabian Nights just to get a taste for the kind of legends that they would have. Um, and in The Poet King, as I delved into the new story, because each book is a new story, um, I realized that um, I would be helped by elements from Arthurian literature, um, as well as um, Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had kind of gone on a kick reading old Homer right before, and that influenced me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially in the Poet King, we get to we kind of go back to the origin story of the poets and how they began. And there seems to be no better inspiration for that than Homer, who is the earliest poet that we have record of. Of course, we don't know if it was you know, one person or a bunch of people, mm-hmm. but that idea of the earliest poet seemed very well encapsulated in what we have of the earliest Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was basically just reading as much as I could, not just before working on the books, but also while I was writing them. I'm just curious, uh, the Middle mm-hmm. Eastern magic, are there any other works or um, traditions you can mention as far as Middle Eastern magic goes? It's a subject that seems very interesting and I, I don't know very much about. It is interesting, and it was hard for me to find sources in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting, I forget what this book was called, it was something like um, The Magic of the Arabian Nights, Mm -hmm. and it was like this uh, by some English colonialist guy in the 19th century, and it was what he could gather from talking to people in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it was about jinn and, uh, you know, all these different um, ideas they had about um, different dimensions very cool stuff, really. Mm-hmm. Um, probably if I spoke Arabic, I could have found cooler stuff. But mm-hmm. this was, you know, what I was able to, to glean. Mm-hmm. And reading Arabian Nights also helped give me an idea of what I was dealing with. I'm speaking with Alana C. Meyer, author of The Poet King, third book in the Harp and Ring sequence. 
You can find her at ilanacmeyer.com. If you like this podcast, please rate it on whatever podcast feed you're listening to it on. Also, please sign up for my newsletter at chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. YouTube under Chris Alvarez, on Twitter and Facebook at Chris Alvarez FCN, and on Instagram at Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi. If you like military history, please listen to my podcast, Military History Inside Out, also located at warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com. If you like outer space, business, technology, and policy, please listen to my podcast, Spacewalks Money Talks, also at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Now back to the podcast. Do you recall any interesting cultural differences between the Middle Eastern and maybe Western magical traditions? Maybe something even included in the book, in the books? I can't think of something offhand because every time I think of something, there's always a parallel. Mm, okay. um, I was more interested in the magical creatures mm-hmm. in Middle Eastern magic than I am, or than I was necessarily mm-hmm. in the Celtic myth. I didn't really, I didn't really get into researching the magical creatures of Celtic myth, whereas in uh, Middle Eastern magic, I became interested in the jinn and the different kinds that there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that really interesting and helpful for the story. Hmm. Okay. So you've mentioned some of the literature, you know, the historical literature and stuff that's inspired the book um, mm-hmm. or the series and the book, this third volume. Um, how about uh, music, TV, anything like that, that, uh, that you look to as sort of a, an inspiration? Well, when I was first writing the first book, I was listening to, Lorena McKennett a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I was actually able to keep that up into writing the second book because of her Middle Eastern-inspired work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, I can't think of any specific thing that would have been an inspiration in other media. Okay. So how about uh, the things that inspire you in general, not not for writing this series, but the things that sort of motivate you as you create your art? I think life experience is probably the main source of inspiration. And by that, I don't mean that what happens to me, I put on the page, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. nor am I my characters. Um, But it's more that as I process life events, Mm -hmm. um, I have more material for the art that I'm creating. Um, That it actually is for me a kind of necessary method of dealing with life experiences Mm -hmm. okay um would you say so just kind of exploring the aesthetic or the feel the atmosphere of the the book um and Mm -hmm. i'll focus on the third one uh is there any would you say that the book could you imagine it having a soundtrack of any type like what would you you know musically what do you feel like the book um what kind of attitude the book has (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um, I would say probably sometimes kind of melancholy, always pretty intense. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Sort of a classical, maybe a classical um, soundtrack, so to speak. Maybe. I mean, I find classical music to sometimes be a little detached for mm-hmm. me, but yeah, some, something, something more melancholy and intense. Mm-hmm. seem like what would that seems like the element that would characterize the soundtrack would you say does the book have sort of um 
doesn't have any kind of a dark feel to it. You know, it, it's dealing with um, these major sort of political issues. Does it have, is it particularly intense in any, in any way in that regard? I do go to dark places. Mm -hmm. As far as uh, writing, the process of writing itself, do you do anything um, maybe out of the ordinary to, uh, to complete your work or either the the drafts or um, the first draft or maybe the final? Hmm. I think every writer has their own process. Uh, And, you know, in some ways we look to other writers as our peril when we're trying to figure out our own way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if what I do is unusual for me, you know, one, one thing that I'm, you know, I have had to come to terms with is that, uh, it takes me some time to write my books. Mm -hmm. The shortest that it's ever taken was two years. That was the poet king. And I think it only took two years because there had been all this buildup of story and development from the previous two books. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of resigned to the fact that it takes me a while. And there are authors who write two books a year. And mm. I'm just like, yeah, that's nice, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, how has your approach to writing changed over, over time, over the course of the three books? Have you changed anything that you do? I think what's changed the most is that I have a, more of a conscious understanding of how I work mm-hmm. um, at this point. I sit down and I go, okay, I'm going to do this thing that I have done a lot um, because, you know, this seems to be what works for me. Um, Whereas in the past, I was, you know, just figuring out how I work. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's definitely some value to that because, you know, you know, once you've already done it, you can look back and draw courage from the fact that you have done it before. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Have you done other other work uh, outside of writing, you know, novels, um, other work that's influenced um, how or what you write? Any other jobs mm. or careers? Well, I was a journalist in Jerusalem mm-hmm. uh, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I really, whatever influence that might have had on my writing is invisible to me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Uh, it did teach me really valuable lessons, um, one of which was uh, the value of research and asking questions, because uh, I came to realize that the facts are very often not what we intuitively might think. Mm-hmm. Um, did that help me for writing fiction? I mean, it's really hard to say, but I, I think tend to think it's always best to know as much as possible about everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Otherwise, I've just been an administrative assistant, um, writing content for websites, just really, really tedious things just to make the rent. So, you know, everything was always very focused on supporting myself um, so so that I could work on my novel in my spare time, which turned out to be not very much time, but (laughs) that's another story. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and again, for this next question, you don't have to go into details or reveal anything, but, um, Mm -hmm. or actually maybe the, the whole series in general, were there, was there much, um, that you had to take out once you had written your, your rough draft? Did you, uh, did you write more than you needed and pull back a lot or how did that work? Um, well, with each book, it was different. I certainly did cut a lot 
in the first book. You know, I just, uh, I'm trying to remember now why. It was mainly like line edits that I'm not sure most people would notice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I definitely had to write a lot of stuff that I cut. Mm-hmm. But that was usually part of the drafting process. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much that I had written too much, but that, you know, by writing, I discovered something that I wanted to do differently. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to remove any characters who turned out to not be useful or any particular events or anything? Certainly with the first book, there was a lot of revision. And it's hard to remember all of it now because it was the book I cut my teeth on, you know, the one that I learned to write a novel from writing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for that first book, I wrote 100,000 words and then threw out like 90% of it started again (laughs) so you know i don't really remember what was in it anymore like Mm -hmm. if i were to look at it i'd be so embarrassed um (laughs) but i think i had to write it to get to what i ended up writing Mm -hmm. um and you know with the other books there's always been stuff that i threw out Mm -hmm. um but never as dramatically as the first time around yeah yeah okay now this is a bit of a whimsical question but uh when you were young was there any uh superpower technology or maybe a fictional setting that you yearned to have or be a part of? Oh, oh, I definitely wanted to visit middle earth. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you see yourself as a, as a particular character in middle earth or you would just be a human getting to know what was going on? Uh, I just wanted to wander in the woods of Morian. That was really all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a very poetic series. Um, so apart from the edits that we talked about, um, were there any difficulties in, in finishing, uh, this book and, and getting it published? Or I guess as a third volume of a series, you're, you're pretty much established as far as getting it published. Um, but were there any issues that you had to deal with? The third book actually went, well, I'm saying it went smoothly, but I remember the first year was hell, but whatever, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. The hardest part for me is always figuring out a way into the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I go, I build momentum. Yeah, and over the, by the time I got to the end, I had, you know, more or less figured out where I was going. Mm-hmm. So that, that part wasn't the most difficult. The most difficult part is usually figuring out what is this story and what is the heart of this story. Because, you know, you can write a series of events. Um, but to me, that's pretty meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, at the risk of stating the obvious, the story should be about something. Mm-hmm. And finding what the story is about can be challenging, um, especially in the case of this series where each book really is about something else. So it's not like, you know, the book is just continuing where the other one left off and that's it. Mm-hmm. And again, without revealing anything, in the third book, did you find... Did you have certain expectations of what the characters would emotionally, how they would behave and react to things? Or did you, did you come across, did the characters sort of change in a way you didn't expect? Hmm. I always, I'm always kept on my toes a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, by character responses to things, but I had a pretty firm hand in this book Mm -hmm. on where it was going. Um, there were things that I had mapped out from the second book Mm -hmm. uh, that I already knew I wanted 
Mm-hmm. There was maybe one character who um, surprised me continuously um, f- from the second book to the third, but I can't really say more than that. Okay. Is this the final book in the series, or will it continue? Uh, this is the end I had in mind for this to be the ending. Okay. I think a, a trilogy is a lovely structure, and there's no reason to mess with it. Okay, so no, th- no, uh, no prequels or sequels or anything like that in mind. <laughs> Not in mind. I mean, I guess you never know what's going to happen. Right. Um, but don't get me started on prequels. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, do you have? Uh, are you working on a new writing project? Do you have something in mind that you can talk about, or? I am trying to work on something now. I'm in that early stage, which for me is the worst. Um, and, <laughs> and I can't talk about it yet because it's too early. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if I'll get a contract for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm after about a year of researching and do some new stuff, I'm working on something else. Mm-hmm. Um, since you had been a journalist, do you have any any interest in writing nonfiction works in the future, or do you are you sticking to fiction? Or again, I don't want you to no. reveal anything that you don't want to. But um. oh, I understand. No, it's very easy for me to answer that. Um, for me, the journalism was a way to support myself. It was never what I wanted to do. Um, for me, it's always been about writing books, and that's what I hope to continue doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so where can people find you online? Do you have web page, social media? I'm on Twitter. I don't know if I should direct people there because I'm not very diplomatic, but my handle is Ilana CT. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I also have a website, Ilana C. Meyer, um, where I try to update uh, periodically. Okay. And I'll spell that for listeners. Um, I-L-A-N-A-C-M. Y E R and is it dot com? Yes. Okay. Well that's all the questions I have. Do you have any um final words or thoughts? Well this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, please subscribe. Please also rate Full Contact Nerd and review it if you can. I have many more options to nerd out on sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. You can check out my website, chrisalvarez.com. That's Chris without an H. I have 20 mini-blogs on the site covering sci-fi, fantasy, horror, gaming, writing, mysteries, folklore, mythology, and many more topics. You can find my video playlists and my original videos on YouTube under Chris Alvarez. I cover sci-fi short films and games, fantasy fiction, horror short films and games, video and board game design, and more. You can get interesting news on fiction and fiction studies on my Twitter page, Chris Alvarez FCN. You can find cosplay and convention photos on my Instagram page, Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi. You can sign up for my newsletter on new books, on my websites chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. Thank you for listening, and keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.